Shalom. I'm filled with thankfulness at the opportunity to be here. We've known each other for years, many of us, and I think you understand that I am not speaking with any hyperbole when I say that over the years, this congregation has come to feel for me like a spiritual home away from home, and I'm very grateful for that. Friends, some weeks the lectionary is so rich that it's an embarrassment of riches and you want to speak about everything and you don't have time. So I'll give you a paragraph about the psalm and then we'll spend the bulk of our time on the reading from the book of Amos. In our Jewish practice, Psalm 82 is recited every Tuesday and we have a daily chapel service. Oftentimes, lay leaders of the congregation, uh, before their retirement, when they have to go to work, uh, they'll find one weekday morning of the week and they'll come to our early chapel service. And there was one gentleman who was our Mr. Tuesday. Now, this gentleman was a refugee from Nazi Germany, and he spoke well into his 90s with a pronounced chairman accent. Now, in our translation, the first verse of the psalm is not, God takes his stand in the council of heaven, which, by the way, is, is a good translation. I have no quibble with it. But in our prayer book, we had a different translation, God rises in the assembly of the mighty. Uh, the reason is that uh, our prayer book was concerned lest anyone think that the psalm is not quite monotheistic. So it takes heavens and it turns it into mighty. Now this gentleman didn't say God rises in the assembly of the mighty. He said, God rises in the assembly of the mighty. <laughs> so, for years, every time I woke up on a Tuesday morning, the first thing that would flash through my mind is, God rises in the assembly of Simbaiti. <laughs> now, this gentleman was a refugee, as I said, from Nazi Germany. And I want to tell you about another refugee from Nazi Germany, one of the great rabbis of the century. His name was Rabbi Joachim Prinz, P-R-I-N-Z. Before there was the king, there was the prince. March on Washington, 1963. Mahalia Jackson sings the gospel song. And then, not quite just yet, did Dr. King give his I Have a Dream speech. First, Rabbi Prince gave a talk. And then Dr. King gave the I Have a Dream speech. And what did Rabbi Prince say? He said that Silence is collusion with evil. And America is at risk of committing the sin of silence. And then he said something, and I want you to remember this formulation. He said, neighbor is not a geographical concept. Neighbor is a moral concept. 
So please keep that in mind when you think about the Gospel reading. Who is my neighbor? It's a question we should be asking ourselves. Who is my neighbor? Is the refugee from Ukraine my neighbor? Is the refugee from Central America my neighbor? The Bible, both halves of the Bible, it seems, have a pretty clear answer to that. And with that in mind, now let's go to a recreation of the scene whose echo is heard in the scripture from Amos. Remember, we experience God's word through the medium of a finished book. Right? We, we did some reverence to the book just a few minutes ago. But before the Bible was a book, it was a history unfolding. Before the Bible was a product, it was a process. So let's go back to that process. Let's go back to the royal sanctuary of Bet El in Samaria, in the northern kingdom of Israel. Let's go back to the eighth century before the common era. Israel is prospering. Of course, they don't know that it's Indian summer. It's not going to last long. Their king, the second Yeravam, has extended their borders and they're doing very well. Thank you very much. And he supports this shrine handsomely. Of course, he's got a game. He doesn't want the pilgrims going to Jerusalem. Gimbals doesn't want to send customers to Macy's. So the, the more that's in it for them if they go to Bet El, the less reason they'll have to go to those dastardly Judeans south of the border and support those uppity folks. Remember, those Judeans are too big for their britches. Their ancestor Judah should have been a slave to Joseph. We know this from the book of Genesis. It's just that Joseph was so kind and merciful that he sustained all his brothers. And how did the Judeans repay us? They turned their David into king over all of us. That wasn't right. So we don't exactly enjoy those Judeans too much here in Bethel. But it's a great place to come. You go there on pilgrimage and the king knows just when to have a a cake for everybody, and sometimes a sliver of the roasted lamb, the shalamim offerings for everybody. It's, it's a combination of communion and carnival, and it smells like barbecue. <laughs> Give me that old time religion. <laughs> but into this place has come a stranger. He speaks with a southern accent, a Judean, southern Hebrew accent. He says Shibboleth instead of Sibboleth. We have to strain to understand his words, but ultimately his words are clear and his words are dangerous. And finally, we put him on trial for his words. So I'm going to unpack for you an imaginative reconstruction of that trial. 
Presiding at the trial is the high priest, Amatsia. It could have been the king, Yeravam, but the king knows the nature of the charges. He doesn't want anyone to think that he's judging out of a sense of personal vendetta. So he has the high priest, Amatsia, be the head of the court. And Amatsia comes out and he's resplendent. I tell you, whoever is his beard dresser deserves uh, you know, special thanks at the Emmys. That olive oil running down his beard, it's, it's just divine. <laughs> but Amatsia is no fop, he's not a dandy, he's a man of uh, gravity. He's the high priest. And he addresses the assemblage. He says some learned colleagues in this court, good subjects of the King of Israel who've come to witness these proceedings. We're here for a solemn reason. The accused, Amos, from Judea, stands accused of treason. These are not light charges. I adjure all potential witnesses to remember that testimony may never be given out of personal malice. Remember the teaching of Moses that if someone perjures himself in giving testimony in order to convict someone else falsely, he, the perjuring witness, will immediately be punished with the punishment that would have gone to the defendant. And there's no appeal to that. And so Amatsya says, before I call any witnesses, let them all know that they are solemnly sworn to testify only the truth and nothing out of malice. And each witness raises his hand and says, may the Lord do thus and such to me and more if I fail to speak the true words. So Amatsya then says, first we're going to establish what were the words spoken by this Judean prophet Amos. And then we're going to give Amos the opportunity to respond to the witnesses. And then we'll do a damage assessment. And if it turns out that he's innocent, he's free to go. And if it turns out that he's guilty, the verdict and then the sentence will be passed. So Amatia turns to the first witness. Let's call him Shilumiel. He says, are you a priest? No, I'm not a priest. Are you a Levite? No, I'm not a Levite. Amatsya turns to the assemblage and says, I've deliberately not called any priests nor any Levites to bear testimony because I am a priest and I don't want anyone to think that I'm exerting family pressure on family members to give testimony. Shalumiel, what brings you to Bethel? I was here on pilgrimage, sir. I was coming to the sanctuary to bring a sacrifice. And did you hear that man over there say words? I, I did. And what words did you hear him say? He said that our king will die at the hands of a foreigner. He said that our country will be invaded and our subjects looted and raped and robbed and then kidnapped and sold as slaves. You're sure you heard him clearly? Oh, there was no mistaking what I heard. 
Thank you. He calls a second witness. Let's call him Hanoch. Remember, you are sworn to tell the truth. As God lives, my words will be truthful. And then he repeats much the same testimony. So Amatsya, the high priest and the head of the court, turns to Amos and says, did you in fact say those words? You have the opportunity here and now to deny it. Amos says, why would I deny the words that the Lord has put into my mouth? It is you who are denying their import. So you do not deny those words. Why would I? No, I am not. A simple no or yes would be thankful. Amatia then turns and says, it's time for us to assess the damage done by this man's words. He calls someone, let's call him Shimaryahu. Shimaryahu, what is your position here? Sir, I represent the Ranchers Council of Bashan. As you know, the finest cow country in all of the two banks of the Jordan is on the Golan Heights in the Bashan. Uh, yes, we know that, but how is that relevant? Well, sir, we supply the sacrificial animals, and I sit right in front of a shrine every day, and when pilgrims come and they have not brought their own animal, they have money, they give me the money, I give them the animal, and they are allowed to worship the Lord to their heart's delight. So you were there when this priest, when this prophet spoke. Yes, I was. And what did he say? Corroborates the words of the first two witnesses identically. And he calls up a second witness for the damage assessment. And uh, let's call this man um, Paltiel. So, Paltiel, what, what is your position in town? Well, sir, I am the president of the Bethel Chamber of Commerce. And uh, what have you to say that could be relevant to an assessment of the damage that this prophet has spoken? Well, I can tell you that our pilgrim trade is suffering. People are uncomfortable by what he's saying. The, the northerners say, well, we'll go to the sanctuary in Dan which we can tolerate, that's part of the kingdom, but the southerners say, we're gonna to go to the sanctuary in Jerusalem, and frankly, that's intolerable. So, to be clear, this, these words are causing real damage to our community, whether or not they come true. Sir, you can look at my purse and you can see. Amatia turns to Amos and says, you have confessed your guilt. You've been testified against. The damage your words has produced is clear. It would be within my rights to have you executed for treason. But I'm not gonna do that because you're a prophet. So go back to Judah. Go back to your own country. Be a thorn in someone else's side. Be a pain in someone else's neck. And be grateful for the leniency we're showing you. The soldiers will escort you to the border. Don't be so bold as to come back. If you want to be a prophet 
there's plenty of places for you to be a prophet with both spellings of the word. Amos says, oh, you think I'm that kind of a prophet? You think I'm a mouth for hire? That's the mistake Balak made with Bilam. He thought that prophets were mouths for hire. Maybe your king has mouths for hire. Maybe you have mouths for hire. If that's a prophet, then I'm not a prophet. I'm a man who was busy tending herds and flocks and sycamore trees, and God spoke to me and said, you have a message, Amos. You have a message to give. And, sir, that message does not stop because of a political border. So I was told, speak to your neighbors. I was told to do that, and that's what I did. Now, if the Bible doesn't tell us the sequel, Amos was doubtless uh, banished. But the Bible does tell us the larger sequel. Only a few years later, the Assyrian Empire, in all of its fury and all of its ruthlessness, came down, as you know from the poem by Byron, the Assyrian came down like a wolf on the fold. And that was the end of the glittering kingdom of Israel. And so, thinking about this entire episode, let's ask ourselves, who's the neighbor? Who was doing religion right? Was religion right about the sleekest cattle from the Bashan? Was religion about winning the 4-H club model of religion? Or was religion about loving your neighbor, wherever the neighbor may be? Now, granted, our country has done what for refugees? Have we done enough? In my religious community, we've raised a lot of charity to help these folks. Have we done enough? Have you done enough? Those are the questions we need to keep asking ourselves. Shalom. Shalom.